1: Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 136. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Fall is here. The leaves are changing. Halloween is just a few weeks away. Billionaires keep sending people into space. And it's been 10 months since domestic terrorists tried to overthrow our government. And now, now is still a time to stay vigilant.
2: So much larger than the me of life, and it hasn't got anything to do with the little green planet, of the blue orb, and the. It has to do with that. It has to do with the enormity and the quickness and the suddenness of life and death of the oh my God. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Beautiful, yes, beautiful in its way, but no, I mean your words. Oh, my words! It's just know. amazing. I don't know. I can't even begin to express what I, I what I would love to do is to communicate as much as possible.
0: Hey. the
2: the jeopardy, the, the 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 moment you see how vu- the vulnerability of everything—it's so small. This air, which is keeping us alive, is, is thinner than your skin. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sliver.
1: It is. It's a sliver. That's legendary Star Trek actor William Shatner, Captain James Tiberius Kirk himself, talking to Jeff Bezos after becoming the oldest person to make a journey into space ever. At 90 years old, Shatner was one of the four people inside the civilian crew of Blue Origin's New Shepard capsule. He beautifully described how fragile our planet really is, how special it is, how precious it is. And Shatner's right. And his words were beautiful. And his words were a warning about how thin the line really is that protects our planet and all of us from everything, from the darkness. And it's easy to forget how thin and precious that line is, the line that makes the earth special and ensures humanity can exist. It's the key to our existence, to our future, and to our freedom. And that line is uniquely thin and must be protected. When Shatner went into space, it reminded him and all of us how precious that line really is. Just like the events of January 6th reminded all Americans of how precious the line is that preserves our uniqueness and freedom as Americans. That line was threatened. That line was crossed. That line was breached. It was resealed, but not before alerting all of us to its preciousness. Ten months later, many have forgotten that that line was crossed. Many have dropped their guard. And many of America's enemies are banking on it, including many enemies within. From inside our police forces, to inside our Congress, to inside our military. Domestic extremism remains our number one national security threat. And it's an issue we've covered in great length on this show. And it's an issue we must continue to focus on. Because that thin, fragile, unique line requires vigilance always. And especially now. And especially this week. Because while the world was focused on Shatner and his trip into space and on John Gruden's inexcusable words that got him fired as head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders and on Dave Chappelle's new Netflix special and on the Major League Baseball playoffs, there was a critical hearing happening in Washington about some of the most dangerous threats to that line that keeps America safe, that keeps America unique, that keeps America free. It was a hearing that some didn't want to happen. They didn't think it was important. They didn't think it was urgent. They didn't think it was necessary. But it was. At 10 a.m. Eastern on October 13th, 2021, 10 months after domestic terrorists attacked our capital, the House Committee on Veterans Affairs held a hearing entitled Domestic Violent Extremist Groups and the Recruitment of Veterans. The meeting was virtual, live-streamed on YouTube and Facebook, and happened just as William Shatner and his crew was landing back to Earth from space. And I'm pretty damn sure you didn't watch it. And I'm very damn sure most Americans didn't watch it. But I did. And the radical Oath Keepers probably did. But not too many others. Twelve hours after the hearing, the YouTube video had only 1,207 views but it was damn important. And in this episode, we'll dig into why. There were only four panelists in that hearing on the first panel. Only two of those panelists were veterans themselves, and only one of them was not white. And we'll talk to him in this episode, because his voice is one you need to hear. Just like Shatner came back from the edge to artfully articulate the urgency of the moment and the precious nature of our situation on climate change, our guest did the same this week on domestic extremism, and specifically domestic extremism in the military and veterans community. I've sounded the warning before, on this show, on TV, in public appearances, And in an op-ed, I wrote for CNN.com with my friend and Marine Corps Colonel Amy McGrath. We wrote it back in February, just one month after the insurrection attack. And we warned that America's military needs to confront the enemy within. The military is still the most respected institution in America. But that respect is not a given. The politicizing of our military under the Trump administration and the growth of right-wing extremism among veterans are serious threats to that national admiration. Veterans made up roughly 20% of the people arrested in relation to the violent insurrection at the Capitol on January 6. That's a much higher percentage than the 7% of veterans in the population as a whole. These domestic terrorists who attacked our democracy included men and women, officers and enlisted, spanning almost all the service branches. As a nation, we've got to face the hard fact that there may be a systemic problem here, the nature and depth of which is yet to be fully understood. The threat is urgent, but it's not new. There have been signs of right-wing extremism in the military for decades, and these real warnings were politicized and not much was done. And for the past decade, far-right extremist activities have surged, And the problem got worse under President Mayhem. Trump consistently used racially coded language and other dog whistles. And he encouraged and grew extremism nationwide, including within the military and veterans community. And so among the national security threats we face, this is now the most pressing. Right wing white supremacists and extremists were behind two-thirds of the terrorist plots in 2020. Since 2016, they've executed more attacks than any other domestic or foreign threat. And there are few higher-priority recruits for extremist groups than American men and women who've worn the uniform. But for the last decade, even as these facts were revealed, many Republicans and some Democrats downplayed the threat. Some even suggested that identifying veterans' involvement in violent right-wing groups was unpatriotic. There's nothing unpatriotic about defending our nation from our enemies, foreign or domestic. As veterans, we advocate for one another, to secure benefits, and to maintain public awareness of the sacrifices made by all those who served. But we're also the toughest on veterans who defile our code of conduct through war crimes, putting other troops at risk, and undermining our nation's moral authority and security. And today, the subversion and desecration of that code exists here on the home front, too. And this is our house to clean up. The military and veterans community need to tackle this head on. But so do all Americans. Devaluing the rights of fellow citizens and promoting hate and violence against our own is fundamentally against our oath. And it belittles the great sacrifices of all those who came before us. There's lots that needs to be done. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin's stand down among the active duty and reserve force to address extremism has been a good start. Military and political leaders need to lead the national discussion on this issue. They can't ignore it for fear of seeming too political. More than 18 million U.S. veterans nationwide swore an oath to defend our Constitution and volunteered to give our lives for this country, it's time for us to answer the call again. We have to lead the nation in combating those who are attacking the very democracy we swore to protect. And we need every American to join that fight with us. That starts in our own communities, combating the enemy within. It's up to all of us to stay vigilant. Because vigilance is the price of democracy. And one man paying that price is our guest in this episode, Navy veteran, Navy Reserve commander, and CEO of Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, Jeremy Butler. Jeremy grew up in Illinois, and he went to Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois. He graduated with an international relations major, and he spent a year studying in France, He was on active duty in the Navy from 1999 to 2005 as a surface warfare officer. He transitioned into the Reserves and has remained there ever since. After he came off active duty, he worked in D.C. for a government contractor and served in a variety of roles, including work at the Department of Homeland Security, the Joint Staff, and the Department of the Navy. Throughout that, he spent years back on active duty both overseas and in the U.S. And he picked up a master's degree in national security and strategic studies from the U.S. Naval War College. And six years ago, he joined my team at IAVA while I was the CEO. The day he came in to interview, our head of HR said to me, this guy is special. He could do your job one day. And three years later, he did. When I stepped down after serving as the IAVA CEO for 14 years, it was Jeremy that the IAVA board selected to be my successor. And he's been leading for the organization, for America's veterans, and for all Americans ever since. Jeremy is thoughtful, tough, focused, brave, strong, and honorable. He's exactly the kind of leader you want out in front in a fight, and especially in a fight to preserve and protect the very essence and future Of our nation. Since I started this show, I've been looking for just the right time to have Jeremy join us. And this is that time. It's another conversation that keeps it real, the kind to help you stay vigilant. And Independent Americans is continuing to bring you important, inspiring, and iconic Americans who are shaping what America has been, what it is now, and what it will be in the future. And we're continuing to bring you the Righteous Media Five Eyes independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. No matter how you affiliate politically, this is a time for us all to stay vigilant. And being vigilant means hearing the warnings. Being vigilant means listening to the voices that matter, voices like Jeremy Butler's. Welcome to a conversation about the threat we face from within welcome to a conversation about the hard conversations we need to have welcome to a conversation about the very thin line that protects us all welcome to independent americans episode 136 Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, Uh, we have a guest this episode that I have been looking forward to finally having on this show. And this is the moment he is, I think, one of the most important voices in America on any issue. He is a man I've been honored to know and work with for quite a while right now. He is in my old job, which I think is a very important job for many reasons right now. And he's also One of the hardest working, most dedicated patriots that I know. Finally, on the Navy birthday, the great and powerful Jeremy Butler joins us on Independent Americans. Welcome, my friend.
0: Well, thank you very much. The great and powerful. I think that's the first time I've ever been called that, but I can can work with that. And it is an honor to be here on the Navy birthday. I'm embarrassed that I had to be reminded uh, by an Air Force veteran. Today, it was the Navy birthday. That shows you how much my mind was in other places uh, that I overlooked it.
1: Well, you have been rightfully uh, focused on other things. And uh, as a a testament to your dedication, we're recording this uh, on Wednesday night. You're still at the office, which is where you and I spent a lot of late nights together doing the important work. Um, I want to get into the in very important testimony today on extremism. I want to talk about the GWAP Memorial, burn pits, Afghanistan, all those things that you and, and the great team at IVA are very focused on. But before we get to that, uh, I ask everyone, where are you and how are you? Where are you, you know, geographically? Where are you now? And, and how are you after this wild you know, 18 months of pandemic and everything else?
0: Absolutely. Thanks for asking. So in Manhattan, I have been here, um, well, really been here for about six years now uh, since I first joined with IABA, uh, but was here throughout the pandemic um and it's been it's been a wild ride you know i think the pandemic's been a wild ride for everybody but certainly has been uh, i think especially unique to see it from uh, the new york city perspective uh so glad to still be here things are a lot better certainly than they were uh still love the city i uh, love being here um and doing pretty well you know uh, our staff uh all managed the pandemic really well family managed it really well my family managed it really well so it's been um, you know, about as positive, I would say, as living through a pandemic to be. Uh, from a personal standpoint, uh, definitely on the positive side.
1: And I was trying to think about the first time I met
0: you. Um, were you still, you might have been still on active duty at the time? I was, yep. I, I remember it was probably much more clearer to me than than it would have been to you. But yeah, I was uh, in DC, was on orders as a Navy reservist. I was back on active duty as a reservist, working at the Pentagon for a year. Uh, My wife uh, was already up here in New York. We had made plans to move to New York from D.C. Uh, she found a job first and was up here. I still had a few months to go on my orders, uh, but had connected with uh, your D.C. team at the time, because that's where I was. And then they were good enough to recommend that we connect. And so I made a trip up here. Uh, it was probably, you know what, actually, it was just over six years ago because I started an IVA uh, in November of whatever six years ago it was, 2015. 15. So it's probably been about six years and a month or two uh, since we first met. And you've been kicking ass ever
1: since. And especially <laughs> uh, since I left, I am very happy and, and honored and proud to say that I think you've taken the organization and the work to much greater heights than I did. And and I think we could have imagined, but the events have also come to you in ways that i don't think any of us could have anticipated but there's one thing i, I can't have you on the show and not ask you to share one story we 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 focused a lot on 9 11 on this show we always talk about 9 11 and first responders issues and the after effects it's 20 years later we we did my celebration of life dinner a few times together and you yep. share i thought it was a really fascinating story of where you were on 9 11 could you share with everyone where you were 20 years ago on 9 11
0: yeah, so I was on my first deployment as a Navy ensign. You know, I joined the Navy in ninety nine, um, wanted to join the Navy, see the world. Try- travel around have four years of fun and adventures and then go on to do something else. Um, and on my first deployment, you know, I was on a counter narcotics deployment, uh, my ship deployed with a coast guard detachment. So we were doing a counter narcotics deployment off the coast of, um, South America on nine 11. So woke up, uh, that morning to go on watch. Uh, and I remember uh, heading up to the bridge and passing someone coming down that just said, you know, a plane just hit the world trade center. And said, I don't know how he learned because it wasn't, as if we had TV on the time. Um, but, you know, as with many other people, I heard it and thought, boy, what an idiot pilot, you know, assuming some little Cessna uh, with a novice pilot uh, doing the wrong thing. Um, and so it went about my day until, you know, I don't remember exactly how much longer it was, but uh, it was probably once the second plane hit that the rest of the ship, we really realized what was going on. Um, and so our deployment continued, but for me, it was somewhat uh, unique because I think I was the only person that, had a connection to New York City, a direct connection, uh, which was that my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, was at grad school uh, here in the city. And so uh, luckily, my captain was good enough to let me use the satellite phone. So I had to head up to the the top weather decks. And I remember standing up there for a while trying to get through to her. And again, as with many others, couldn't get through, couldn't get through. Um, And I think I eventually had to call her mother, uh, who was in Wisconsin at the time, uh, and connect with her to find out that she had talked to my wife, uh, who was fine. Um, and But then it was not for three or four months before we returned to the US. We continued on our deployment. We thought that we might get rerouted to the Middle East or something like that. But uh, for whatever reason, uh, the Pentagon decided to keep us on that counter-narcotics deployment. So it wasn't for another three or four months before we returned to the US. And what a changed country it was. And it was, I think, especially bizarre because what was brand new to us had become very much normal to everyone else, and that was, if you remember, flags everywhere, Um, and you know, people talking about Ground Zero. I did not know what Ground Zero was in relation to nine eleven, so it was like a very abrupt and strange transition back to a changed country after several months. Almost
1: like a like a rib van Winkle experience, right?
0: It really was very much and- so.
1: Jeremy, was it you or someone else? You got to help me. Who who told me they first saw it because someone brought a VHS on a ship? I remember. Was it you that that, that told that story about how you yep. first saw the footage? Can you can you can you share that?
0: Exactly. I know it's 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 especially interesting because because of the 20th anniversary, I was reconnecting with some of my shipmates from that deployment. And we were reminding each other of some of the memories and things like that. and Remembering where we were specifically on the ship. But that was one of the things was we had a satellite TV, but in order to get reception, you had to be within, I don't remember how many many miles of the coast. We obviously weren't always there. We were out and about. So one of the things that we did was we got VHS tapes, of you know CNN broadcasts and things like that from other ships that would be brought over, and we would watch them uh, to kind of catch up on on everything that was going on when we were outside of satellite TV range. And it's just you know, another, again another bizarre throwback to times when things were not as technologically advanced. And and to many people's misconceptions, you know, navy ships are not particularly high tech and. Imm- Anyways, these are ships that were built and designed like 20 years ago, and then they're finally created and out there. And so, yeah, very analog in many ways.
1: So I, I want to talk about um, so, you know, earlier today, I, w- I had a different plan for the show and uh, and I knew you were testifying today. And then I, I listened to it and then I went back and watched it and I was following the coverage and I, and I called you afterward and I reached out to you and and I, I said, we got to talk. And I think I want folks to understand why, because I really think what you did today was courageous. I think it was uh, it was urgent. I think it was insightful. Uh, And I felt like it might get lost, like because, you know, uh, William Shatner went in space today. you know, there are other things happening. And this really important testimony was happening below the radar. So part of why I wanted to have a show is so I could pull things up that people might have missed. And I want to go into your testimony, which was before the House Veterans Affairs Committee today on on extremism in the veterans community. But staying with that issue of technology, you've been doing something over the last you know couple of years. It's pretty unusual. You've been testifying before Congress over Zoom, right? So to take this full circle, you know, you were getting VHS reports about how the, the towers had gone down. Now it's 20 years later. What is it like to testify before Congress on Zoom? What is that
0: like? <laughs> it's a good question. So I had, you know, the the, the honor to testify a few times pre-pandemic uh, and then get the change to, to post-pandemic. And there's definitely many positives. I think it's easier. You know, I don't have to travel down to D.C. There's, you know, it's just easier to schedule it in. Uh, you don't have to wear pants. All those good things that come with it. Um, and from a from just an ease standpoint, it's nice because you can kind of have more notes. You know, I've got my testimony up on the screen literally in front of me, so I can be looking at that. Um, so there's definitely some positives. But the negatives, I think, were brought into full effect today. We can get into those, but I think some of them are that, it's a great opportunity when you testify in person to look at members of Congress in the eye, to, to see them seeing you know that you're a real person and to talk about these issues. I mean, that's what uh, I love about what IAVA does. You know, you started, we bring veterans to D.C. to go into members of Congress's office and to talk to them about why these issues are important, To bring people in who have been affected. By the things we're talking about, and to connect directly with members from whatever party uh, they might be. And that's very effective because they understand that this is a real person bringing them to us. And you get that when you testify in person. With Zoom, unfortunately, you lose that. And I think that was evident in today's hearing. Um, You know, this, the House and Senate Veterans Affairs Committees, I think, are one of the places where there is generally good bipartisan work and a level of um, positive discourse that happens. And unfortunately, that seemed to fall right off the rails today with, with the way the testimony went. And I think a lot of that was because we were separated by, you know, video screens and ask, after some people asked some of their questions or made their statements, they were able to just turn off their video and it was sort of like they weren't there anymore. They didn't have to hmm. look at me
1: so i want I want to pull that apart because I think it's really important to understand um, kind of the drive by legislating that can be done right now. and And you know there are some controversial members on the committee right now. Uh, You got Madison Cawthorn, right, who is, you know, a firebrand from the right. I think he was he was sending questions from like, what was his backdrop? He was in like a mountain range or something. Right. Yeah. And so there's a bit of like stagecraft that goes on. Right. You're in your office. Some members of Congress. But this guy is like it looked like he's in front of the Grand Canyon or something. Right. But but when we got to the substance of it, um, this was a hearing that was supposed to happen a while ago. Right. To explore. What, what's happening with veterans and extremism, right? And we know now, I think it was 66 or more of the folks that have been arrested in the January 6th attack were veterans. I've written about it. We've covered it on the show. We've talked to, you know, Admiral Mike Mullen and others. Um, can you talk about why this hearing happened and why it took so long to happen? Because it seems like it kept getting delayed.
0: Yeah, it, it did get delayed. It was uh... You mentioned, I think it was supposed to happen in, in July. Um, and this was some of the back and forth that happened on there, some accusations that uh, it happened because Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi didn't want it to come too close to uh, some discussions or hearings, I can't remember exactly what, around January 6th. I don't know that that's true. Um, it To me, when it was delayed, to me, it did make sense because this hearing was not about January 6th. It certainly was going to touch on January 6th, but as I think all of us that testified today tried to say, extremism is not just about, and this this hearing was not just about the events that happened on January 6th. This is an issue that has been evident within the DOD, within the VA, within the veteran community for much longer than that, and that was the point of this. I think it was appropriate to to delay it from uh, July when it was supposed to happen so that it didn't seemed to get too caught up in the hearings and I think some of the trials that they were were having around uh, the January 6th uh, uh, events. Um, And so it got delayed and it just got rescheduled, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they picked this new date. So I think that was good. I think it was a good thing to put some space between it. Um, We didn't have any say in it. You know, they kind of reached out and said, hey, are you still willing to testify? And we certainly said yes. And uh, this was the day that they went with. So... Um, so during the hearing, part of the friction
1: was that it seemed like uh, the Democrats wanted to have the hearing and the Republican. Some of the Republicans did not. And they said that they said that this was, uh, you know, some we'll talk about Jim Banks in, in, in a little bit. Um but you know saying that this this was smearing veterans this was not an appropriate conversation it was an insulting uh you know a political event and and i am one of many who've said look whether this is one person or one million people in the military it is a legitimate and urgent threat and a problem we have to deal with and i have you know echoed the sentiment of many others that i think extremism is the number one national security threat so if that's the case I think the hearing today was appropriate, necessary, and if anything, overdue. I've, you know, said you only need one Timothy McVeigh. You know, you don't need to radicalize a whole lot of you know former special forces folks to be dangerous, and it's happening. We know that the Oath Keepers and others want to recruit members of you know our organization and so many others. But I want to ask you: can, can you just summarize your testimony? You know, testimony is in written form, and then you deliver it orally. But what do you want people to know? about your message to
0: Congress and and to, to the country today. Thank you. Yeah, it was, um, I think for me, what it really was, was that, and you kind of touched on this, this is an issue that we know is evident. We've learned it from our members. We've learned it from uh, the surveys that we do. We've seen it from, actions that have taken place within this country, not just January 6, but others before that. And if that's the case, we know that that is an incredible stain and a real scourge on the veteran and the military community. And if it's there, which we know it is, we should look into it and make sure that we're attacking it just as we do anything else. I I made a little note during the testimony that I was going to mention, which is that every year, you know, we're required within DOD to do this um, uh, insider threat training. And it's very similar It's not because we think that, you know, 50% of the military are insider threats. But as we just saw, there are those that are working on the inside that are selling secrets about our submarines uh, to foreign adversaries. So it's something that is real uh, and it needs to be addressed. And the the key that I think I want to pass on about my testimony today was that part of the way that we really attack this is by having our leaders live up to the oaths that they take. We as veterans, as military members, you know, we make an oath uh, to defend the Constitution of the United States of America. Members of Congress do the same thing, and I think they often forget that. And they get up there and they grandstand and they try and misdirect uh, and, and shift a topic if it becomes an uncomfortable topic. We saw that to no shortage when there were hearings about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. uh, And I was hoping to not see that today, but unfortunately, it continued today. And so I think trying to summarize here, my real real key takeaway was we need to see better from our leaders if we're going to expect to see better uh, from from our constituents and the the citizens of the country.
1: And, you know, your lived experience is important. Uh, the, 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 The community you represent is important, but the data is important, too. And you all did some, you know, some survey data that released some survey data, a survey that I was intimately involved in for many years, and now is in y'all's hands and you're running with the ball. But one thing that stuck out at me was three in 10 of the veterans that you surveyed had witnessed extremism, right? Had witnessed examples of extremism. And I say it all the time, you know, up until a couple of years ago, you could fly a Confederate flag in the barracks that was allowed. Right. And there are much more severe examples of that, but can you, um, can you share your experience have have you witnessed it have you seen it you know what's your feel right because part of your job is to have a feel of the membership in a way that I don't even have anymore cuz I'm further away from it what's your feel of of what's going on and what do you see
0: Yeah it's uh one of the things that I always stress is it's going to be different from everybody, and I think you'll get this, and, and we certainly get that in the survey data, which says that you know, uh, right now the survey is ongoing still, but we've had you know over 3,500 respondents, and as you said, basically about one uh, one in three uh, say that they've witnessed it. Um, it's going to be very different for me. I'm a black man, but I was and and still in the Navy reserve as an officer. So I'm going to get certainly treated a very different way than a junior enlisted person, uh, might. Um, and then there's going to be differences within the community. So what I always try and say is what you see in your community doesn't mean that that's the way it is everywhere. So I, what I hear a lot of times is, Oh, you know, I've been in X, Y and Z community and I've never seen it. Everyone seems to be very good. Well, that's great. for your community and what you see there, but that doesn't mean that that extends across the entire uh, Department of Defense. And so, I think it's really important. Data was one of the things that came up a lot in this in this hearing, and I think it is important uh, that we get more data. That's something that everyone is testifying about. But I think it's also important to look at the fact that we do have a fair amount of data, and a lot of you know PhDs testified today about the data that we're getting. We continue to get survey data that shows that this is a real issue, uh, and I think it's important to to look at that and not go off of what you've heard from your buddies, from your shipmates, uh, you know, from the constituents that you hear from when you set up some random website to to try and gather stories uh, about it, as, as some members have done.
1: And it's clear that this is a national security interest, right? We've got to protect the force from many things from COVID and, and from extremism, right? So it's about education. And I think either you or Joe Pencil or someone said inoculation, right? You've got to kind of inoculate people, uh, and, and provide conversation spaces and information and off ramps and alternatives to extremism, but also make them aware of the risks in the same way you would COVID or, or, you know, IEDs or herpes, right? Like they, they make people aware of everything. <laughs> in the military here. But there's a point that you touched on, you know, it got to a point where there are fireworks and Rep- Rep- representative Jim Banks, who is from Indiana's third district, was pissed off. that was a hearing. He felt that the Democrats were slandering veterans. That was his position. And then I thought a really important moment. He asked you uniquely as the only black person on the panel to disavow Black Lives Matter and Antifa. And, and your reaction, I thought, was very measured, very thoughtful, very data-driven, and you kind of put him in his place. But can you, can you share, you know, what, 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 what do you think is important about your response then? And now, having processed it, what's your response to that? What was really, I, I don't know what you would call it, but I thought it was inappropriate. He was, I thought he was grandstanding. I thought he was making it about something else, and he put, kind of put it on you. Um, but what, what's your reaction, you know, then and, and now?
0: And it was really exactly that, exactly what you just said, and it tied into my opening statement. Um, which, to backtrack slightly, you know, every for those that don't spend their time watching House and Senate testimonies, which you know, hopefully, is most of you. So I don't necessarily recommend it all the time. But you know, we all get five minutes to make an opening statement, and then usually you have submitted longer written testimony that can go into more detail. But in my opening statement, one of the things I really focused on was the the recent. House and Senate hearings uh, across a variety of committees uh, about Afghanistan. And all they were almost to, an, uh, to a member, it was either the Republicans were trying to say that Afghanistan, the entire problem was President Biden's withdrawal. And all of the Dems were trying to say that it was President Trump's 2020 Doha agreement. Like If that's all you Listen to you, would have thought those were the only two events that occurred in 20 years of war in Afghanistan. <laughs> and so, my point was, we need to stop doing that. We need solutions. We need answers. We need to look beyond that. We need to stop grandstanding and just trying to uh, draw um, talking points that, that say it's the other party's fault. And then it seemed like he went and did that exact same thing in his line of questioning. It was, don't look at what this hearing is about. I'm going to ask a question about something that's tangential. It's what about it's things like that. And that was really frustrating to me and it was also frankly it was kind of a watershed moment for me because up to this point it's always been rather collegial when I've been in these hearings you get questions you might get pushback on positions that we have and I totally understand that but it's never really kind of turned personal somewhat until today uh and so it it kind of caught me off guard um but hopefully I I didn't get as red as I am realizing I am now um I'm looking at myself in the zoom and realizing. It's getting warm in this office here. I apologize if anyone that's watching, uh, nothing is wrong with me other than it's the end of the day. And I'm getting <laughs> worked up talking about this. I and I think understandably so. Um, <laughs> you, you've been putting,
1: you know, your heart and uh, and your voice out there for a long time now, and I thought that today. Was really important because at one point he said something like, can you explain why the Biden administration hasn't labeled? I'm I'm paraphrasing why they haven't let, you know, focused on Antifa and Black Lives Matter like they have on veterans. Right. And you said I don't work for the White House, you know, <laughs> that's not my job, right? But, but uh, you know, they're so often, and he's a good example, they're looking for a soundbite, they're looking for a clip, you know, they want to make, they want to use you as kind of a punching bag for something they're trying to do. And I thought it was really inappropriate and I thought it was shameful. And I then, you know, even since then, he started tweeting at me and throwing articles at me from, from 2012, instead of addressing the core issue, which I think Joe said something along the lines of, look, if you have cancer, even if it's a small cancer, cancer, a big cancer, you got to cut it out. And that's what we're talking about here. Whether it's one veteran or, or thousands of veterans, we have to address it. And that's the responsibility of every conscientious American. And that doesn't make it you know, a political agenda because we want, we want to get to it. So I, I thought you handled yourself with grace and also strength and fortitude. And maybe it's over, maybe it's not over. But I also think it's a reflection of how shitty this whole thing has gotten. And, and veteran space used to be free of partisan politics. Not anymore. I mean, you've got some of the biggest bomb throwers on that committee now. And and it's often been a committee for backbenchers or rookies or people who don't have anywhere else to go. And and now you've got some young folks on there that want to make a name for themselves, throwing bombs on the HVAC committee. Right. Um, So can can I ask you um, to, to reflect on, you know, really the magnitude of the last couple of months, January 6th, um you know these ongoing discussions about extremism afghanistan can you explain you know what you think this moment is in history it's a big question jeremy but for the veterans community but also for the country you're a thought leader beyond the veteran space what do you think of where we are right now
0: yeah it's and i'd even back up a little further than that because i think you know you said it a little bit i think events have driven veterans and veterans groups To the forefront uh, just in the last couple of years and maybe less than that than they really almost ever have. Uh, And I would back it up to to the killing of George Floyd, frankly. That was a watershed moment for me, certainly, as it was for much of the country. But I think it also allowed groups like IAVA and others to begin to more openly talk about Race as an issue, without having as much. I'm speaking for myself here only, with having as much fear that you're going to get backlash for some members that say no. You need to stay focused on X, Y, or Z, or whatever it is. So that was sort of in my mind, and for me personally, that the the first of the kind of dominers, if you will. January 6 was absolutely another one, Um, and then, as you know, probably nothing has been more um, energizing for lack of a better word, than the withdrawal from Afghanistan, and and not the announced withdrawal, but the actual days on the ground when we saw those images of the actual withdrawal when uh, President Ghani fled the country, uh, and then things went, you know, for no other way to describe it, but just down the shithole after that. These events, I think have really brought the country uh, looking to and wanting to talk to veterans and veterans groups uh, about their thoughts and their feelings and things like that. Uh, maybe unlike any other event, and you know, you were leading this organization for many more years than I was, but uh, to me, those, those are kind of those three events that really have stood out and, and driven us into the spotlight in good and bad ways, uh, like few others have.
1: Yeah. And I think it's become kind of a conscience call moment. And we've had so many people on my show that have had connections to the veterans community. And even to IABA, we had Kristen Rouse on, we had Matt Zeller, even going back to Colbert, you know, we had Colbert on, on, on this show. Um, and he went to Iraq and we lost, you know, General Dierno this last mm-hmm. week. And I remember that moment where General Dierno, you know, w- was always, uh, I thought, down to earth and and uh, and strong and thoughtful and kind. And, you know, he was also, you know, down for a good joke and he shaves, you know, Stephen Colbert's head. But there are <laughs> all these moments where I think we used to hope we could. And when I ran the organization, frankly, we were kind of outside of the mainstream of politics, except occasionally now. And some of this, I think, frankly, is that Trump has politicized the community in such a way that now General Milley is a household name in the same way Dr. Fauci is and, and everything from covid to covid to George Floyd, the military has become a conscience, but also kind of a canary in the coal mine. So when, when you look ahead, um, what do you think is the most important for people who aren't tracking on veterans issues? What do you think are is, is the most or the most important issues that are bigger than veterans that veterans
0: are focused on? Yeah. Um, well, that's a good question, a good way of putting it. I mean, I think, actually, I think the, the the biggest one that jumps out to me is mental health, because that is a problem, and suicide, the need for mental health care, that is one that we talk about quite a bit within the veteran and the military space, and it is an absolute huge issue, a crisis issue within the military veteran space, but it's a crisis issue for our entire country, uh, and when we address one community, we're helping the other. And I think that is one where a lot can be done to help the the veteran the military community by helping ourselves. There's just not enough mental health care providers anywhere in this country. Uh, There's still plenty of stigma about talking about it. Uh, You know, as a black man, you know, I think I can say there's plenty of stigma within the black community still about talking about it. And then when you get into the black veteran community, you know, it's potentially even worse. And so I think Maybe it's healthcare overall, just to broaden it up a little bit, because then you're bringing in toxic exposure and burn pits and all these things, and it's not getting the healthcare that we need. And when you do finally get to a point where you don't have a choice anymore, it's incredibly expensive. You know, when that cancer finally shows itself and you can't keep just, you know, getting by, now it's going to literally ruin you and your family because it's going to cost you everything in order to get the treatment that you. So I think maybe I would say it's healthcare overall, um, where we talk about it within the veteran community quite a bit and that galvanized a lot of conversation. Uh, but when we get right down to it, it's, it's a national, uh, problem that affects all of us. Well, really
1: well said. And I, and I think, you know, people have, uh. Have recognized that that you know if if veterans are having this hard time um, with with all the mental health issues and they put us on a pedestal and they put us on the cover of magazines everything from burn pits to recognition to family support to healthcare to COVID right um, I just you know saw today I think fifteen thousand veterans at VA have now died from from COVID so you know all of these are like if it's a dashboard of America. Right. They're like they're when they when they hit red, it should worry everybody. And and you are now that guy who's responsible for letting everybody know when it hits red. And I'm glad that it's you. But your personal story is inspiring and is important. And you've had this amazing life journey. I don't think you ever could have imagined, you know, 20 years ago when you were on that Navy ship that you'd be, you know, battling out with members of Congress on domestic extremism. But if you could go back and talk to your younger self. Uh, and maybe in some of the times when, when you were struggling and for people who are struggling now with whatever's going on in their life, you're a role model, you're an inspiration, you're motivating, especially a lot of young people. Um, what, what is your message or lessons learned for people who are going through the struggle that, that may have been like you at one point?
0: I think it's it's not going to be groundbreaking here, but I think it's that there are many others going through the same thing. I think we all like to think of ourselves as being unique and in a, in a situation that no one else has dealt with. Um, I kind of felt that just to to bring it back a little bit more on me as someone, you know, I, I grew up in a mixed race family, but grew up in a predominantly white area. And so I very rarely talked about race because I'm like, no one else is going to get it. I'm the only one here. I'm out on an island, but that's not the case. There were certainly people around. there was plenty of people to talk to. Uh, and I wish on that issue and many others, I wish I had felt comfortable talking about it sooner and earlier, um, because I think that that is just helpful. Uh, regardless of what you're talking about. And so that's what I always say to others is that no matter how um, unique you're feeling, uh, the reality is there's probably a lot of people around you who are going through something that's at least similar and is going to be a good person to talk to uh, about it. And that's going to help.
1: Mm. You uh, you continue to help. We say on this show a lot, look for the helpers. I hope you'll, you'll stick around for a little extra for our Patreon members. I'm going to ask you about... Uh, your, your your favorite drink and your first car and some other stuff that we used to put in the meat of the show, but we're saving for our Patreon members now. Um, but as you think ahead to Veterans Day, um, is there is there a message or you know you're you're now the guy kind of putting out there the call to action? Is there a, is there a call to action for folks as Veterans Day approaches in in less than a month?
0: I think so. It's it's it kind of ties into the things that we've been talking about. You know, after. The events uh, and the way Afghanistan ended, it's very much colored the 20th anniversary of 9-11. We're now, you know, we've hit the 20th anniversary of Afghanistan and now we're approaching Veterans Day. I think it's a a challenging time for a lot of veterans. Um, I would remember and call on you that your service mattered and you still matter. And we were saying this, you know, get out there and continue to do good because there is still so much work to be done. Uh, You've hung up the uniform, but there's still tons to do. And, you know, my big thing is to try and partner. Someone said this, and now I've co-opted it and said it a lot in the last few days, Um, Do what you do best and partner for the rest. And that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. There's a lot of great organizations, a lot of great veterans organizations out there, get out, get motivated um, and, and, and help. And I think, By doing that, you're going to help yourself. And so I think this Veterans Day is really kind of a rallying time because it has been a tough few months uh, for everyone in our community. And this is a time to get out there and really reconnect with others, especially with the COVID. Uh, It's yet another reason to get out and reconnect. So get out, reconnect, and and find a way to continue serving your country. Well, that's what you've done
1: from the moment I've met you and ever since. And I... And one of many who are extremely grateful for your continued service. The job you have is a very hard one, I know that. Um, <laughs> but I also have been inspired by your leadership and your voice and your personal courage, and you embody the best of what not only our community but this country is all about and uh i over the last couple of months especially you've been masterful in in helping the country through it and i know you will continue to do that in the days ahead i'm honored that you're a colleague and a friend and uh i'm one of many that are just thankful that that you're out there leading on behalf of all of us, man. So thank you for all that. And thank you for finally joining me on the show (laughs) on on the Navy birthday, even if I had to keep you late at the office one last time.
0: (laughs) No, I got to say thank you because hey, you started this organization years ago and built it up into something incredible and frankly allowed me to meet a wide range of incredible people Um, you know we talked about it a lot the IAVA community is is massive and it is made up of some really incredible people and uh, even folks that were part of the organization and then left before I got here I have now gotten to know and really become good friends with and that's because you did an incredible job of of building this organization into the powerhouse that it is and and bringing on board some incredible veterans and civilian supporters uh, to really make it all happen so thank you for taking a chance on me you know six years ago uh, because you talk about uh, you know, I didn't expect to still be in the Navy 20 years ago. And I certainly didn't think that six years later after my first day uh, with IAVA that I'd be uh, where I am now. Well, outside of uh, marrying my wife, One probably one
1: of the best decisions I ever made was uh, giving you the ball because you're you know, you're you're the quarterback now and you're leading us all. And uh, it's always a team game. But to know that you got the ball is is uh, is really, you know, lets us all sleep a little better at night and also inspires and motivates us. So to be continued. Thank you for all you do. Uh, I'm going to keep you over for Patreon for a couple of extra rapid fire questions and then finally let you get some sleep uh, before getting back at it tomorrow. The great and powerful Jeremy Butler. Thank you, my friends. Stay vigilant. Thank you, Paul. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Jeremy Butler. Remember the name. You'll hear it and see it again. He's out in front and holding the line, along with an incredible team at IAVA now and always. Jeremy is a rising, important, and critical voice in the American conversation. And he's a true helper. Always look for the helpers.
2: There will always be helpers. You know, even just on the
1: sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. My deepest thanks to Jeremy for joining me. Please follow him on Twitter. Go to IAVA.org. Listen to everything he writes and everything he has to say. And a big shout out to the entire team at IAVA that works alongside Jeremy every day doing the important work. And my thanks to Jeremy especially for giving the brave and important testimony this week. And when assholes, haters, and enemies come at him, stand up and have his back. Because he has ours. My thanks again to Jeremy and the whole team. And, of course, my thanks to my wife and my two boys. We had an amazing long weekend. We spent it in the mountains and all over the place. We went for a long bike ride. We put the boys in the back of a trailer. We rode for a long-ass time. We went to soccer. And we went to a fall festival. And my wife and I celebrated our seventh wedding anniversary by going to monster trucks in upstate New York. <laughs> Look, if there was ever a better example of how awesome my dear wife Lauren is, it's that she wanted to be there at a low-budget monster truck event outside of Albany, across from a cemetery and a stop-and-shop with our little boys for our anniversary above anywhere else. I'm a lucky man, and I'm a grateful one, and I want to wish my wife a very happy anniversary. You're a true superstar, and I'm forever thankful. And to the rest of you, never say no to a blind date. You could end up meeting your soulmate. I did. A soulmate who even endured monster trucks on her anniversary. Now, it was monster trucks with a Z. Not monster jam. It was monster trucks. And it was interesting. If you've never seen monster trucks, it's good. There's Avalanche and Ballistic and Girl Power and Tyrone the Terrible and Ghost Rider. And they had a human cannonball, which was kind of uneventful considering the buildup. But it was monster trucks, and it was thousands of people in a fairgrounds, and it was not Monster Jam, but it was monster trucks. It's kind of like minor league baseball for monster trucks, but less good. But it is monster trucks, and in my view, any monster trucks is good. So shout out to my boys and my wife and to Monster Trucks with a Z for showing us a hell of a good time and for helping us celebrate our anniversary in a very unique way my thanks and shout out of course to our fearless Patreon members and I want to welcome a new patron Andrew Morrison Andrew thank you so much for having our back and thank you to all of our other Patreon members you support the fight and if you go over there now to Patreon you will get extra content with Jeremy Butler he gives you a great car story and a book recommendation and we will do a virtual cocktail hour soon I promise it is coming but my deepest thanks to Andrew and all of our Patreon members who help support this show and keep the fire coming if you're not in the movement you can join our growing insurgent army of independence for exclusive access and events by becoming a member of the independent americans patreon community go to patreon and search for independent americans and you can find us you can join my friend andrew morrison for just five bucks and get access to our events our guests merch discounts and exclusive content like our extra conversations with every single guest on this show go check it out My thanks, of course, to the Righteous Media team, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez. If there were three people I had to go into space with, it would be you three. You make this show possible, and you make all the Righteous Media shows possible. Of course, be sure to check out Everybody and Their Mother Has a Podcast, and The Firefighters with Rob Sarah. New episodes of Everybody Hits every Wednesday, and new shows from me on Thursday, and then Rob Sarah and The Firefighters going strong every single Friday. Listen now anywhere you get your pods or you can go to righteousmedia.us for more. They're all 100% free. Spread the word, join the Growing Righteous Family anywhere you get pods or at righteous.us. If you love this show, please support us. Go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us five stars. Be sure to subscribe for free and share. You can share it with three people. Imagine you were going up in Blue Origin and you were William Shatner and you got to pick three people to go with. Pick three people and ask them to subscribe to this show. And you can, of course, visit us on social media and check out independentamericans.us. You can see video of this conversation with Jeremy, and you can see all of our recent episodes with Milo Ventimiglia, Bradley Whitford, Admiral Mike Mullen, and others. A lot of great episodes over these last few weeks. We've been coming strong. And if you miss them, you can catch up anytime, anywhere you get your pods or at independentamericans.us. You can also shop the Independent American store, where we've got coffee mugs, we've got some very, very comfortable shirts, and the structured twill caps in six colors. Be sure to check out me and Independent Americans everywhere on social media. I will share lots of extra information about Jeremy Butler. I will post his full testimony, his video, his exchange with members of Congress, and lots of other good stuff. And you can guess the guest every Wednesday every wednesday i post a guess the guest contest and i post a picture that doesn't really reveal the guest, and you have to guess who it is and this time for jeremy butler i posted a photo of me and jeremy from the iava heroes gala a few years back with wwe legend and guest on this show mick foley jeremy was fuzzed out so you couldn't tell who it was and people had to guess and a couple people got it bz ieg477 got it again. He's an 82nd Airborne vet and a high school history teacher and he guessed it. He saw the IAVA logo in the back and asked if it was Jeremy Butler. He's a proud IAVA member and he shared that IAVA had some speakers come to Cutstown University in 2006 and he realized that he wasn't the only veteran on campus because of that event and it was a great experience. He never forgot meeting Jeremy and he got the guest. He guessed the guest. Sean Pelfrey also got it. He got it on Instagram. He guessed it on my Instagram page. He's a small-town Idaho boy who left to see the world. He's a husband, father, combat vet, and Bailey's hiking partner. So big shout-out to you too, Sean. Now, our friend Dave Petrie also tried to guess the guess, And I want to give him some credit because he had a really good guess. He guessed Montez Ford or Stone Cold Steve Austin. He guessed the wrestlers because the picture was with McFoley. It was not Stone Cold Steve Austin But I would love for it to be in the future. So shout out to Dave Petrie. Shout out to Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I will shout out Steve Austin also because a few Halloweens ago, I was Stone Cold Steve Austin. I would love to have him on this show. Shout out to Nate Holdstein who guessed Milo Ventimiglia last week. I wanted to make sure I gave Nate a shout out and thanked him for his continued support. You can join all these guys and play guest the guest every Wednesday on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And Halloween is coming. You can guess my costume. I am not going to be stone cold, Steve Austin again, but you can guess it on social and win a prize, but get engaged and join us. America is more divided than ever before, but we at independent Americans are trying to change that. We're adding light to contrast to heat and every episode is going to continue to bring you those righteous media, five eyes, independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact if you're among the growing percentage of americans who are independent this is your show and if you're not a diehard partisan this is your show no matter what your halloween costume this is your show all are welcome we invite you to join us and be a part of the solution you're all welcome inside our rocket ship please keep sharing the hope because hope is the oxygen of democracy it's how we'll keep this movement growing week by week and we will stay vigilant Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant. Just like Jeremy said, you are not alone. Here on Earth and up in space. This time of year, I don't know if it's true where you are, but where I am, the stars have been amazing. And for the last few months, you can see Jupiter. It's been bright for weeks now. Every night I look up, and unless it's cloudy, I can see Jupiter. And the boys and I go out and look at Jupiter, and sometimes we can see Saturn, too. And it's a reminder of how far we've come and how far we've yet to go. And as the great William Shatner reminded us, we can only get there together. And we are all in this together. From William Shatner, to Jeremy Butler, to my dear wife, Lauren, to the great General Rayo Dierno that we lost this week. All across this country, and even into space, we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. And stay vigilant, America.